Nana, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Where am I getting you from? Where are you dialing in from? I am in London. Beautiful London. It's, it does look like it's raining in the background. It is not raining in the background for once. We had a very rainy May, but June has thus far been absolutely splendid. Cool. Well, the new movie, Queen of Glory, is a love letter to New York. I am dialing in from New York. It was great to see some uptown sites right there. One thing I'm curious about, you are the writer, you're the director, you're the star. Did you know outright that you wanted to do all three of those tasks? Absolutely not. Um, I set out to write it and, um, and maybe, and be in it, maybe I was, so, and then I ended up doing all three for various reasons of like, you know, wanting somebody to do it and then they couldn't do it. And eventually it was like, we're either going to do this and I'm going to do these three jobs or we're not going to do it at all. And so we decided to forge ahead. Wow. I'm not a, in other words, this is me saying I'm not a megalomaniac. I did not set out to do all three of them by myself. You never know. Some people love doing everything because they say, well, who's going to do it better than I am? And other people, it's out of necessity. In your case, hey, it was organic. Now, how much of what we see on the screen matches the original script? Did it evolve a lot over time? It evolved a lot over time. Um, so uh, my family owns a Christian bookstore in the Bronx, so that is true. Everything else is fictionalized, but um, we just tried to, uh, because we had that great location, you know, we decided to shoot, as they often say with filmmakers, first time filmmakers, that you shoot with around what you can get for cheap or free. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we decided to go that route. And, um, and uh, I think the original script was maybe a little bit more it was a little bit funnier. It was a little bit more, um, I don't know. There was a little bit more slapstick. There was a little bit more, you know, in that comedic way, I was leaning more on that. And then as we started to make it, we were like, no, there's actually some really poignant, beautiful moments here. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like shy away from or not include just to kind of like keep it as a comedy. So we decided to just go in that direction and not be afraid of it. That's a really good point. It starts off very serious. And then some of the humor shows itself. Like, for example, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that had an argument about pate before without giving <laughs> that much away. That was a unique moment in there. So it's interesting to hear that the script evolved. But you knew outright that that was the location, that's where you're shooting, like that was the stationary part of the whole thing? Yeah, definitely. That definitely. And then there was also some certain cast that I absolutely wanted to work with. So that was also and built in, um, you know, Miko Gattuso, who plays Pitt. Um, that was my next question. Okay, please, please go ahead. <laughs> well, you, I guess you're pretty darn experienced in this stuff. So I was going to say, was that written for Miso or was that just you saw the casting and went, that's the guy? No. So, we, so Miko worked on a film called Give Me the Loot which was written and directed by Adam Leon, who plays Lyle in the film. So Adam and I are friends and I saw Give Me the Loot, you know, back in the day and was like, God, I really want to work with that guy. And so I had, I knew there was a place for him in this world. I just didn't know what it was. And then when it came time to like, actually, you know, think about it, Jamin Washington, who is my producer, who also produced uh, Give Me the Loot, he was like, I think this is Miko's part. And I was like, Miko is a Christian bookstore employee. That's insane. 
or it's perfect. And so like, that was kind of how we ended up going. That is awesome. I can't imagine anyone else playing the pit character other than him. Me neither, me neither. And did he have any hesitation once he found out that it was a role in a Christian bookstore or is he just going, yep, I'll, I'll act. Miko is so down to clown. He is like, oh, you know, I was like, this is the deal. He was like, great, when do, where do I show up? I'll be there, you know, like he's very easy. And then without giving too much away, uh, Ohio gets referenced a lot in the script. Was there originally more about Ohio in there? There, uh, w- there was a scene that w- of, um, there was, a, there was a thought, there was a draft of the script in which we actually started in Ohio. Uh, one of the things that I decided to uh, pull back from was, uh, again, without giving too much away, was like the betrayal element of it. Um, I wanted to it to be more ambiguous. Like I didn't know, you know, and so we decided to pull away from Ohio and just keep referencing it rather than actually physically going there or, or either like, you know, or concretizing any of those details. We just wanted it to be like, this was, we're seeing it through this character's perspective. This is what she believes. And when we get conflicting information, um, we don't, we don't know, you know what I mean? Like that was, but I, that that was intentional. We see you eating pizza a few times in the movie. Was it from a good local spot or is it just any old pizza? It was a good local spot, but man, I mean, you don't want to eat pizza that much. (laughs) That was a first time filmmaker mistake. I will never do that again. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that. They say that when you're in a food commercial, that the food might have paste between the buns of the hamburger (laughs) and, you know, cut. Okay. Do it again. And then they give you another, do it again. That happened with you? That there was no paste in the, in the pizza. The pizza was real. But I was so, I don't think I ate pizza for, I, I've only just recently returned to pizza since, since that, since that shoot. It is, it's, oof, yeah, no, never again. Never again. How long ago did you wrap the shoot on the, on the film? Uh, we finished November of 2019. Oh, that's a long time without pizza. <laughs> Got it. Okay. And then uh, going through your IMDb page, you have no shortage of projects and it's between that and then what's on your website, which isn't on your IMDb page, unless the titles change and all that, you know, some of them she's writing, some of them she's acting in, some of them she's producing. It's hard to keep track of you. Do you know what's next after this one? I do. Um, uh, I did a, uh, a series called The Chair, which comes out on Netflix on August 27th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was show run by Amanda Peet. Oh yeah, uh, and, and it stars uh, Sandra O oh and Bob Balaban and Holland Taylor and me, and so uh, so that that's the next big thing. So I'm really excited about that. That was uh, it was we shot obviously during pandemic times, so it was challenging because we couldn't do all the fun things that you love to do when you're in a random city like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and sure. and uh, and on set, but. Aside from that, it was it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. And I'm really excited for everyone to see that show. Before I ask my last two questions, which are going to be really quick ones, I'm curious about that. Are you finding, film, having filmed in Pittsburgh, are you finding that most of the things that you're working on these days are not filmed in New York and Los Angeles? Because most of the interviews I'm doing lately, that's been the case where some people are even saying, I've never made a movie in LA. Wow. Yeah, I've never worked in LA. 
I've gone there for meetings and I've gone there for, you know, pilot season, God help me, but I've never, <laughs> but I've never actually uh, shot anything in LA. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a little bit of a, a branching out of us realizing that you can accomplish a lot, you know, on a soundstage. And, um, and that there are really talented technicians in Atlanta and Pittsburgh and, you know, places that you, you don't have to set it in New York or LA to get that talent, behind, you know, below the line. Cool. First of the two quick questions. Favorite musical artist of all time. Do you have one? Prince, who just had a birthday yesterday. Yes, he did. A lot of geniuses were born yesterday outside of music as well. Last question for you. Besides the chair, besides your new movie, What's a TV show or a thing that we should be streaming if we need a new thing to start binging and getting into? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm annoyed at how mainstream this is gonna be, but I loved Mayor of Easttown on HBO. I loved it. Uh, in, in the UK, it's, at, it's, in, it's playing on Sky, Sky Atlantic. But I loved that show. I thought it was so tight. I thought Caitlin Winslet was amazing. Um, so that's something that like people can watch now if they haven't already. Um, my second one is, I am also biased because we are working together, but um, Janixa Bravo, Bravo's movie, uh, Zola, is coming out. It's an A24 film that's coming out on June 30th. And I loved, I, I had the privilege of seeing it at Sundance. And um, Sundance 2020. And it was, I've never laughed so hard in the theater. It was so funny. And so those are my two recommendations. Thanks for the picks. Thanks for the time. Looking forward to all the award nominations on this one. Not that I jinxed it, but uh, <laughs> best of luck to you and team, okay? Thank you, Darren. Recording in progress. Is your take <laughs> one fine there so far there, Olivia? Yes, I am. What about you? Nonstop, but good. Thank you very much. Pleasure to connect. Congratulations on signing with Universal. Your full length is out in a couple of weeks. How long did you have to keep a secret that you were signing to Universal? Oh, crazy. I think it was about maybe like a four month process now. It's so hard to think back. I feel like COVID's just made my timeline of life <laughs> very blurred, but yeah, it's very exciting news to share. So the album was written before you signed with Universal? Partially, yes. Partially. Yes, and we've popped out some songs here and there, but um, yeah, I can't believe it's it's almost time. It's wild. Wow. How many songs did you pare down to before deciding that it was the full track list for the album? So I think we narrowed it down to about 10 songs, and then we decided for the album we're going to have eight, eight songs, but it's always so hard to do that narrowing down process. I, I can imagine it is. Do you remember the first one that you wrote or co-wrote for the album? Hmm, that's actually a good question. I believe... The first song I wrote was one of the acoustic ballads um, called The Walls. And so it was fun to kind of have that song. And then we ended up also building some really fun pop songs. So it's there's something on the album for everyone. It's great. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the song's Sad to See You Happy. I'm curious about how something like that is written, because the title is, is hooky. Mm -hmm. The riff is hooky. The chorus is hooky. What came first? That's also a good question. You're making me think here. I think I'm sorry for the thinking. If you want no, me to say who are your influences, <laughs> do you like pizza? Yeah, exactly. No, so I believe what came first was we had this guitar loop going, which you hear throughout the whole song. So yeah. 
instrumental melody came first. And then I believe we started with a chorus. I think my co-writer is going to text me like, we didn't start with the chorus. <laughs> but in my memory, that's what we started with. And then we went back and wrote the verse. And then at the beginning of the song, you hear like all these that that do's and these fun little clips. Yeah. And that was something we went and added after the song was written. So yeah, but it's so fun to play with all these hooks. It was great. I'm glad. I'm glad it's catchy. <laughs> I call that ear candy. There, there's a lot going on in the song in a, in a very good way. So mm -hmm. when you, you said at the beginning that there was a guitar loop that was playing. So mm -hmm. somebody brought the guitar loop to the table and was it playing for like two hours or was it playing for five minutes or no, any recollection? Yeah, it definitely played for a long time. <laughs> so I think we sat there for probably an hour or so. And again, every session is so different. Sometimes you hear it five minutes, you have um a vocal hook written other times you just have to listen over and over and over um and it's funny because as a musician i feel like you just get used to that but as someone else if they were to just come in the room they'd be like what the heck is going on what are you listening to um but yeah we listen for a long time and you also have to take breaks sometimes too right you just hear it so much you're like hey we need to go outside take a breath of fresh air and then sometimes that idea will come when you're taking that break otherwise when you're coming back in Sometimes it, that's all it takes to, to get that moment. Got it. Were any of the songs written virtually rather than being in the room with the co-writer? Yeah, so two of the songs actually. Sad to Happy, we had one of the writers on Zoom. Uh, and then I was with two other guys in the studio. And then for one of the songs on the album called Dominoes, I did a Zoom session with some people in LA. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. So not awkward. If you've done it more than once, either someone's making you do it or it's not awkward. Yeah, I see it's not awkward, but it's definitely the whole technical component is not ideal, is how I would phrase it. Because you can't be being in the studio and just kind of going back and forth with someone, right? You have an idea and then let's say you're trying to sing it, but then it's delayed. It can kind of get lost in translation a bit. But hey, I'll take it over not having a session any bit. Yeah, a lot of the top pop performers and rock performers who have used co-writers songs that they have written that didn't make their album, which they did with a collaborator sometimes wound up being cut by other artists. Do you with having some leftovers start going, Hmm, maybe we can get these out there. Or when you don't use a song, do you say maybe the next album? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. I haven't actually thought a lot about kind of giving those songs to, to someone else. But I mean, I would love that to, to do that one day. But I think I am still so early on that in working on this next project, I'll, I'll keep those to myself for a little bit, see if they make that cut. And then maybe if not, that's when I could start showing some other people. But yeah, it's definitely a really fun and interesting concept to explore. Now, you started as a teenager. Uh, the, If the bio is correct, the Winnipeg Folk Festival, which you were playing at when you are 14, which shows that you're a long-term artist. This is not, hey, we think we can get something out of her. But I'm curious, when was the moment that it went from being, this is a fun thing to do, to this is a career? Yeah, so I just got to think back. I think when I was about... 17 or 18, I put out, um, independently put out an EP. I had four songs, it's actually no longer online, but at the time it was a really big deal for me. And right after that is when the whole launch um, show happened and I was scouted for that show. So I think really going on that show and being launched, essentially launched my career and really 
let me meet some incredible people and and grow my team slowly. So that moment, and that's also when I I quit my minimum wage job and I decided I was just gonna try to do this. So it's it's been a process, but yeah, lots has happened in in a little time for sure. Is the long term goal to be just a musician, or do you have that? Well, I have the name for my empire, and my empire, which is my fashion line and my chain of restaurants, is this, this, and this. <laughs> I find it's two categories of performers these days. For sure. I mean, it's so hard. I feel like I definitely want to get that artist thing down packed before I start exploring other avenues. But as someone who's really like into fashion and and health and wellness, I mean, starting a brand would would be incredible one day too you're making me think this is great <laughs> gears are turning <laughs> hopefully you got some coffee in you first that yes. like me i'm not the person or the thing that's waking you up that it's no i am i woke up early today so you are you're good <laughs> the almighty press day and <laughs> something i couldn't figure out because if you start out with the acoustic kind of thing but also the TV angle, but then you worked with Boy Wanda. And so you've worked with R&B centric and, and hip hop oriented producers as well. You kind of run the gamut. Do you have a first favorite artist, your first concert, your first CD kind of artist? Hmm. I think the first concert my dad ever took me to, and he took me to so many growing up, was Hilary Duff. Um, yeah, and I, I just remember watching that. We had seats like in the nosebleeds in the really high section, have like binoculars looking. And I just remember being so excited and so curious how someone got to do that for a job. And I think that really sparked the, I want to do this as a job one day. How can I get there? So, but yeah. So I listened to so many artists growing up though, from Fleetwood Mac to Coldplay to Nora Jones to Hilary Duff. So I, I definitely had a broad spectrum of influences. Which venue was that Hilary Duff concert at? Do you remember? Yeah, it was in Winnipeg and it was at, I think it's the Bell MTS Center now. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Famous arena that's been there forever. And mm -hmm. your first concert being an arena concert, did that make it weird once you started to notice that clubs and independent venues existed? Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. I think it, it did. I think as I started playing more gigs myself, realizing that it takes a long <laughs> You got to do a lot of work before you get to those um, stadiums. I personally never played a stadium. I've played some amazing theaters, but yeah, it's definitely motivating and, and humbling for sure. Yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, my first concert was seeing Billy Joel in Arena here in Long Island, New yeah. York. I think my next thing was a theater. And then within a year of that, I was going to see independent punk rock shows at mm -hmm. places where there was no stage per se. And it's you start to realize that the average person doesn't realize that that exists, mm -hmm. that, that kind of thing. And you span different genres and playing, again, TV and that festival and this kind of club thing. Do you feel most comfortable in a particular kind of venue or live setting? I don't think I've played enough shows, to be honest, to really know where, where my comfort is. But I guess for me, I will always be comfortable no matter how many people picking up my guitar and singing a song that I've written. And that will always be my first and foremost true authentic self. But it's so fun to put on a fun outfit and <laughs> on stage. And yeah, it's, it's just totally different, but they're both super fun to do. So if I can kind of translate that, that kind of sounds like you want me to perform, I'll perform whatever it is to however many people it is, I'll do it. 
100%. And I miss performing. So hopefully crossing our fingers soon, we can get back out there. Cool. And three quick questions and then you're free for me. And the first <laughs> one is, when you're not doing music, what is life like for you? Yeah, life recently has been lots of, I've been keeping really active, just to keep my mental health in a good spot. So I love yoga. I love going for runs. I've been going for lots of walks outside with our dog and yeah, just, just hanging out, living life. Uh, does that include, this is the second question, of course, does that include TV? And if so, do you have a favorite show from TV or streaming services that you could recommend? Yes, I watched this a while ago when it first came out, but Queen's Gambit was so incredible. So I would urge everyone to go and watch that. It's the best series I've seen in a really long time. Common pick right there. People love that show. And my last question here, and this can include as much self-promotion as you want. It's any last words for the kids? Yes. Um, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> well, getting up to sleep. Third of all, my debut album is coming out uh, July 9th next month, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So you can follow me on socials at Olivia Lunny or Facebook Olivia Lunny Music, and I'll be updating you there. So stay tuned. Looking forward to all that. Hope to see you live in New York in the near future, but keep up the great work in the meantime, Olivia. Thank you so much, and thanks for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure. Have a great rest of the day. Hey, can you hear me okay, PJ? I can, Darren, how are you? Bring yourself there. Great, thanks for having me. Where am I getting you from, LA? No, I'm in Westport, Connecticut. Wow, okay. I knew that you went to University of Hartford. I didn't realize you were a Connecticut lifer. Yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time in LA over the past few years, writing and recording, and, but I'm, I've been here for, you know, through quarantine and stuff, so I'm back out in LA coming up in August and back in the thing, swinging things. Cool. Got it. Well, the latest single is Every Little Heartbreak. When did you write it? When did you finish it? Uh, we wrote it last March. Or, no, last May um, 2020, kind of fresh into lockdown. I wrote it with Garrison Starr and Valerie Broussard, and I've collaborated with them both a bunch. And um, we wanted to write a positive, uplifting song for the end of quarantine. We knew it was going to end one day. Mm -hmm. And uh, people were probably going to want to something uplifting and ready to run free and break out and, you know, like take a risk and ready for anything. So that's the kind of vibe we went for. Didn't want to be too lovey-dovey romantic, but it does hint uh, on romance. It's basically I've taken a risk about with anything in life, anything, career, love, anything. I've been familiar with Garrison Starr since the late 90s because she was on some albums on the label E Pluribus Unum. It was Adam Duritz's label that had the Gigolo Ants and Nielsen Hubbard. And she was on some of those records. How did you first find out about Garrison? Um, I her song Superhero was constantly playing in this. I used to work in a head shop years ago. And uh, her song Superhero would come on. And I was like, what the hell is that song? That's so cool. And then it just grew on me. I started covering it. Um, and then fast forward a few years later, we ended up on the same roster in Europe, booking agency. So we kind of connected through the roster and then she sang on a record of mine and then we, we've hit it off and we've done so much stuff since then. She's like a sister to me, I love her to death. That is a better story than what I was anticipating. I think these <laughs> days we hear, well, my publisher uh, said that we'd get along. So we got together and we wrote some songs and that was it. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it wasn't one of those. It was like, I, I, I was like hesitant to reach out to her and, and 
our agent at the time, she was like, I think you guys would hit it off. I really do. I think I know you both now and trust me, just reach out to her. Ask. I, I needed a female voice on the song mm-hmm. at the time and I have no other voice than that one in my head. So she said, yeah, and that's the rest is history. It's pretty cool. So looking at your credits, you've had a lot more success with sync licensing than most artists on major labels, I would argue. Oh, wow. That is a compliment. Is that because you have a team pitching you or good luck? Any idea? I think it's a little of both. I think it's the thing about sync is you can, you know, you can pretty much write a very syncable song and, and hit hit the lyrics right on the head with, with what the supervisors and publishers want, but then it's all timing. It's, it's so much stuff that has to line up the right way. And like, yeah. you know, they kind of want it one stop, you know, just one clearance from one outlet instead of three or four. There's so many things that have to line up, but yeah, I mean, you do have to have a good team, I think, pitching you for sure. Um, did, you, did you ever get stuck in the, the trap of, we want a song within the next 48 hours that sounds exactly like this, but is just different enough that it is not clocks by Coldplay or one of those. Yeah, completely. Yeah, that happens a lot, you know, and, you know, write a song about the sky being blue, but don't say blue, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. There's, there's a trick to it for sure. And uh, it took a little while to get it, but once I got it, I, I understood it. It's, Totally different brain than writing a pop song or an Americana country song, you know, a different type of song. It, writing for sync, TV, film, it's a, different, it's a different type of writing for sure. Some of the success that you've had has been off of covers. And some artists are afraid of covers because the publishing money is not coming to them. <laughs> I'm guessing that was never thought in your mind. It was more of a, I like this song. I have an idea for making this different. Let's do it. Done. Yeah. Pretty much. I wasn't really thinking dollar signs. I was just thinking, how can I make it my own? Um, it really hit home. You know, I've done what I've done Christopher Cross's Sailing in the past. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I kind of wanted to make that dark. I mean, I didn't really even know that was a dark song until I actually read the lyrics without the song playing. It sounds such like... Is it? It is. It's such a happy sounding song, but like he's talking, it's not far down to paradise on a sailboat. He's, you know, it's not, it's not the most uplifting thing. So I kind of... I, 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 I wait. So that song is. I gotta cut you off there. That song is partially about a boat cats potentially capsizing. Well, I mean, he's looking down. He's looking down to paradise. I don't know. I mean, I didn't. I took it differently once I once I read them like without the music playing. And I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's just the way I interpreted it, and that's the way it came out. I gave it a little darker twist. The video is a little weird. I remember the director was like. Your character is a combo between Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club and uh, Robin Williams in One Hour Photo. And I was like, okay, done, got it. I know both characters. <laughs> wow, so not afraid of the dark side when you need to do it. No, not at all. Plenty of happy stuff, you know. Some people, you know, don't want to hear the yay, hurrah, cotton candy, unicorns all the time. Sometimes That is definitely true. So when I asked you up front, Every Little Heartbreak, that's the new song, blah, 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 blah. A lot of new songs in the can, or are you, did you hold back a little bit during quarantine? Because I'm seeing it both ways with artists during the pandemic. Yeah, I did. I did a lot of both. I wrote a lot for my band, Signals and Smoke, and I wrote a lot for Sync and for me, because I have a new album coming out at the end of this year, or maybe in the fall. I don't, release date isn't slated yet, but 
definitely this year. So yeah, I, I, I found a group of uh, producers and writers like, you know, that I've already worked with and I know well, who all wanted to work last year while we were all sitting, you know, right here. Um, and we wrote a bunch, like Valerie was in LA, Garrison was in LA, my producers are in Virginia, some were in Nashville. I just wrote about 30 songs and a bunch went to the band and some went to my record and then some went to TV and film to hopefully land. So I was pretty, uh, I don't know, we were busy. Courtesy of my friends, my, my close group of friends and writers and producers, we, we stayed pretty busy. Outrocast.